Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and today I'm here with my co-host, Tamarcus. What's going on? How you doing, man? You doing all right? Doing pretty good. Awesome. Well, this week, it's Holy Week, and today, uh, being Good Friday, we wanted to talk about the resurrection, we wanted to talk about the crucifixion, and the opportunities that Easter provides as we engage in culture, as we reflect what this week means. And so, it's a shorter episode today, it's a theological episode, but we hope it benefits you, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Okay, Tamarcus, so it's Holy Week, which is a week that means a lot to us. And as Christians, you know, the, both the the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, they mean so much. Right. There's a multifaceted uh, and, and almost kaleidoscopic uh, layers of meaning that we can draw from the cross. But one thing that's that's so easy to say is what Easter represents, what Holy Week represents, is the centerpiece of all Christianity. Yeah. Um, and I, so to be able to talk about it with you today is really great. And to think about it from cult culturally, what it means is really amazing. So I want to start a little bit, but just by uh, talking about the opportunity we have. Right. And so to do that, I, I'm just going to mention a quick story. So Origen was a early church father Um and he was writing apologies, or basically arguments for why Christianity should be true. Uh, and he wrote in response to a, a treatise by a guy named uh, Celsus who wrote a, something called The True Word. And that's lost to us now. We The only w- reason we have these arguments from this Roman philosopher named Celsus is because Origen kind of did, did what you do. Response uh, to it. Yeah, yeah, he wrote a response to it. So he tried to provide the strongest argument, which is what you're supposed to do. So he, he basically summarized Celsus's work. And then what Celsus argues is really, it's kind of funny um, to read it now because uh, he has some arguments about Christianity he, that are, you know, from, from back in the day that, you know, w- we would recognize some of them today, but some of them we wouldn't. And what he basically says is that um, he says things like God the God presented in Christianity is a really weak God. Uh, and so it's, it's, yeah, right. How dare he? Right. It's very Roman. As you read it, it's really funny. If you know anything about Roman culture, he's, he's like, you know, basically God's punishing humanity uh, for being tricked by Satan. If anyone's powerful in the story, it's Satan. Cause he actually tricks all of humanity and he defeats God and then God can't even defeat him in an outright fight. So he has to like die. He just misses the whole point. Right. And it's all about how weak Jesus is and he doesn't compare to Roman gods and stuff. It's so it's kind of fascinating read. Origin does a good job of, of answering all these arguments and trying to show him, uh, you know, Hey man, I think you're missing the point about Christianity. My point in bringing up that story is that it's interesting as, as we see people starting to, from different cultures, starting to first engage with Christianity. They're shocked by Christ's crucifixion. Yeah. And they're shocked by his resurrection as well, but absolutely shocked by his crucifixion. And over time, as Christianity won the day, we sort of lost the... 
we, we, we looked at the cross as triumphant, which it is, but we lost that idea of it being weak. We lost that idea of it being embarrassing and humiliating, that kind of death. And I think as we now move into a post-Christian culture, there are people, plenty of people who are being raised not ever really hearing the gospel or not understanding what it means. And there's a similar sense of shock. Maybe the, it comes out in different ways about, oh, how amoral a God to punish his whatever or how whatever. Similar yeah. kind of shock arguments. And I, and I think many of us lament that. It's lamentable. It's like, oh man, Christianity was just so normal. The cross was just so normal. It was just undergirding everything. And so, um, you know, to talk about the cross was like talking about, I don't, anything. It became commonplace. It became too commonplace. Yeah. There's something about the novelty of it then. I mean, even, I mean, we talk about the Roman gods. I mean, even their, their epics, right? Like the, the Aeneid is a, is, is an example, an exemplar of, what what power and right. valor would have been like and you know he's winning wars and right. carrying the weight of rome on his shoulder it's <laughs> right. like you know this guy's bringing in a kingdom and right. it's like and you serve this is god and yeah. he's like getting crushed yeah um whereas you know part of part of where we felt that law is as christianity began to spread across the world and, and gain power and gain tread we i think even you know to to mention the need is like even in our stories right right that kind of gospel narrative um started to get sprinkled into different ways but like before that that wasn't no one was celebrating the the loser and the guy that was getting beat up and i, I love the way you're saying it self-sacrificial love was not seen as powerful preferred or yeah. a, a cultural underpinning. It was not. And, and a lot of historians have done great work on this. The things that we count as sort of taken for granted, that these are the natural impulses of man to root for the underdog, to right. see the weak overcome the powerful. That, if you read Roman tragedies, is actually the other way around. It's typically, a tragedy typically begins with the very powerful then being forsaken and being crushed. That's a, tra- exactly. that's a tragedy. It's, tragedy. Yeah. it's not, you very rarely, if at all, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, you very rarely see the weak triumph over the powerful. That's offensive, actually, exactly. to, to sensibilities back then. So, um, so here's and again I think I think we're I think that that some of that is being uh, uh, lost once again and I see it as opportunity. That's yeah. what I want to talk about today. Is that it is lamentable that Christianity has lost um, some cultural capital, but there's also so much good opportunity in it. And so I wanted to ask you. I know you've been reading recently, thinking deeply about. Easter, what it represents, yeah. both both in terms of uh, Holy Week in general, both in terms of the crucifixion and resurrection. What is what is it? What opportunities do we have to engage culture and those around us with this story? Yeah, man, I think that's I think that's so good to frame it in terms of opportunity. Uh, man, there's a guy by the name of Samuel Johnson. He's wrote back in the 1760s uh, in Europe. Um, basically, he wrote. He was most popular for his periodicals, which is, I mean, think of like a print blog back in their day. Um, and so they would they would come in cycles weekly or biweekly. Um, and there's one in particular that he wrote called The Idler that was, um, you know, he would take on this persona. He kind of wrote in a pen name and would talk about various things. Um, and often his, his MO throughout it was to talk about a very specific subject in a way that gave broader implications wide. And so in the last, the last installment of that, um, he wrote during Holy week and it was mm. called the horror of the last. Um, and it's, it's really short. You can 
Google it, um, The Horror of the Last by Samuel Johnson, and you could read it. Um, but there's a line in it that I think really taps on where people are, like you said. Um, he writes, he says, the secret horror of the last is inseparable from a thinking being whose life is limited and to whom death is dreadful. Um, and his, his, his kind of uh, approach in it is um, we see even in these moments of things coming to an end or things um, being lost or things being dreadful or horrific, um, they remind us of this broader reality that, that life itself has this kind of horrific drag that overpins it. And mm. we today might think of it more of like an existential crisis. And right. Breaking into this moment of starting to ask these major questions of life. Um, and, you know, he saw this as an opportune time, right, as I'm just writing this last installment to think about these really big ideas mm. in the context of Holy Week um, and how actually there is a um, a kind of hope that is that is stirred that we can constantly be brought back to um, as we consider right the, the the gravity of these things and I think that's it's one of the unique um, opportunities in the gospel um, and part of the reason why we we're always pointing back to it as believers is that there is this reality um, Tolkien calls it the you catastrophe right mm. is that um, central to the gospel message is that uh, life really is as can be as horrific and dreadful um, as we feel it and experience it to be. And at the same time, there is a, a true abounding um, infinite hope that we can hold on to. Mm. And it's like, apart from the cross, it's like either this like kind of flippant, like, you know, oh, like life isn't, it's not so bad. Look at the bright side, you know, it's right. just, it could be worse. Um, that That is really dismissive of the actual pain and mm. horror. Um, and then, or it's, it's a kind of hope that's like, yeah, you know, well, one day it'll get better. Like it won't be like this. And it's like, maybe it won't get better. Right. Maybe the diagnosis is, is final. Mm. Um, but what the cross does is it says, actually, there is a, um, there, there's a hope on the other side, even of death, right. Mm. That even when it, when Christ suffered and it was at its very worst, um, on the other side of that was this you catastrophe that turns, um, into, into, into fullness uh, of eternal life. And I think that, that kind of that kind of um, story and hope can resonate um, in a culture where you where you are feeling the weight of, be it that like I say that existential crisis, that anxiety, the depression, the um, just the horrors of life. I mean, you see, we're we're in the midst of a culture that's suffering through famine, political turmoil, um, you know, moral failure, war, like mm. all of these. It's hard to just say like, oh, like it'll turn around next year. Yeah, right, like, right. We've been saying that since 2020, and <laughs> here we are. You know, I love what you're saying, and I uh, maybe reframing it in a way. It's like what I what the what Easter proves and says is is the the proposition of Easter is that it actually captures reality as it is. Yes. And today, what the world wants to say, if the Romans were um, offended by the weakness of Jesus. Today, people are offended by the um, the facade of yeah. I, I think it, I think what I would say is they're they're offended that the cross doesn't necessarily fix their current suffering. Mm. Let me put it to you this way: the promise of the world today is not that our gods are so powerful that you know political stuff they'll beat you down the promises today is our gods whatever those might be are so powerful that you don't have to suffer anymore they can fix it now they can fix it now uh money's great you can buy you happiness 
uh, hey, if you just like meditate enough or do this thing enough, you actually won't feel any pain. Oh, you know what? Mm -hmm. If you can just get online enough and sit in your little echo chamber and all that, you don't have to hear any opinions that are going to bother you. In other words, the, the God of today is truly a message of consumerism and comfort and escapism, escapism. And I don't think, I don't think anyone, I don't even think that's a controversial statement. It's like, go online, play a game, hypersexualize everything, blah, blah, blah. You know, everything's fantasy. Yeah. And it's all all about escaping the current moment. But that's not reality because the world really can be horrible. And that's not reality because the world can be so much more beautiful than a screen, right? Yes. And so what what I hear what I think we're discussing is this idea that if suffering love is true because what what the world wants to say is suffering love is weak love. Suffering love is a love that can't fix right now. Love should be a love that accepts everything about you for who you are. It costs nothing. It is, you know, yeah. it's just a hundred. But if suffering love is true, the argument I'm making and the opportunity we have, I think, through Easter is that a suffering love can actually reorient everything about yes, our lives. It good. doesn't just fix our circumstances. It can fix it can inside fix us. of us. Yeah. And so the, the idea is this. What, what the cross proves is that suffering love is effective. What the, what, and this comes from a guy named Lee Camp, who, who we talk about from time to time, but suffering, uh, Good Friday proves that suffering love is effective. It defeated sin. Easter proves that it's vindicated. Easter proves that in the resurrection, that that kind of love is actually the kind of love we all need, that it actually, so it works and it's true. It works in that it defeats sin and it actually defeats death. And I think here's what here's what that message is. So to try to take it out of the air and put it on the ground. If suffering love is true, then that means that um, a love that can't be defeated by pain and the horribleness of the yes. world is true. Gosh, how amazing is that? Would you rather have a love that says, man, you need all the problems in the world to be fixed before you can be really loved. You need all of you to be really fixed before you can be loved. Uh, the best thing for you is to fix all the problems out there so you can be comfortable. Or do you want a love that says, man, even if things are uncomfortable, I yes. can be loved. There can be joy. There can be happiness yeah, and peace. Pain, and all pain doesn't mean that it's not working. Right. 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 Because we're all going to go through pain. Exactly. And in other words, you're going to be failed by the proposition that um, that triumph, only triumphant love, only power uh, is, it's the narrative of today. Every relationship seen through the lens of power. Who has power? Who doesn't have power? And yes. what Jesus says is, it's not about who has that kind of power. Love can withstand the oppressor and love can uh, calm the oppressor, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, if suffering love is true, then what that means is, if suffering love is true, there's a love that can withstand pain. If suffering love is true, then it means that there is then then it then every human being actually has dignity. It's not just yes. about whether that human being has accomplished certain things, but it, it's that impulse in us that says, "Wait, all people are created in the image of God." If Easter's true, then that proposition's true. If Easter's true, it means there's no greater love than this that man lay down his life for his friends. We all want to believe that in our hearts. Yeah. We all know that's true in our hearts, but that's not the love that a secular world would tell you. You don't lay down your life for your friends. You avoid pain as much as you can. So yeah. I think what I'm saying is the opportunity that we have with Easter is we have the opportunity to show people that in weakness, we can be great. Yeah. And I think I think important maybe to, to clarify, right? Yeah. It's, it's not that we want to emphasize and say like, oh, the 
that the the power in the cross was that you know the Romans beat up right. We know the theological right, ramifications right, right, right. of like That's what good. God is is accomplishing. But for the purposes of how we how we uh, how does the gospel message. Um, how do I reflect on it and meditate on it on a day to day basis that um, that affects and gives that comfort and gives that hope right. and that love? Right, is that there is a there is a need for us to see um, the grotesque nature of what uh, our Savior suffered, mm-hmm. um, for us to see the the grandeur of the salvation and the hope that He offers in it. That we can uh, we can look and say Amen when the Hebrew writer says that it was. It was necessary that he be made like his brothers, right? Mm-hmm. That he was brought low, that he suffered so that he'd be a suitable high priest, right? That we get to um, see and experience like, yeah, he, I know he gets it because I know how ugly and grotesque the cross was. Mm-hmm. And so I can be more assured that, you know, if we want to have a game of, 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 of sufferings, like I know that my savior um, ha- has suffered even to the point of death um, and in that, even in my suffering and even in my struggle, I can still see the hope that lies on the other side. And so, um, yeah, I, I definitely see that opportunity um, that you bring up. Yeah, I think, Marcus, what I hear us saying is this. If Jesus had been like a Roman god and come in and said, I love you, so I'm going to conquer and I'm going to come in power. And what that means is I'm going to overthrow kingdoms and I'm going to stand powerful. Uh, what that means is, is that the story of the world is the story of the Aeneid. It means that uh, the only people who are seen as worthy are those who have the wherewithal and power to conquer. It means that um, what we look up to is might, not weakness. It means that what we look up to is achievement. It means that what we look up to is wealth. In other words, Jesus on the cross shows that um, in weakness, uh, we can be made perfect. Here's what's true. If we're really honest with ourselves, and if people can really be honest with ourselves, we're not great. Uh, We're not all great. We have great moments, but we're not all great. What do you do with those not great moments? If, If Jesus is true on the cross, what it means is that we're not our, we are not our worst moment. It, we don't have to achieve, achieve, and achieve, and by love. If Jesus on the cross and his resurrection are true, if Easter's true, then that means that um, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It means that service is actually greatness. Servanthoodedness is greatness. I don't know. That's uh, maybe a bad way of saying it. It means that sacrificial love is the most beautiful kind of love. It means that giving of self and not having a narcissistic worldview that everything revolves around me, uh, that's actually the way we're supposed to live. And I think we all know, I think in our hearts, we all know that's the way the world's supposed to be. It's not just the conquering hero who has any worth and value in this world. And I really believe that's still the message people need to hear. Yeah, it is. That's good. Well, that's going to do it for our episode today. And our prayer for you in Holy Week is that you have somewhere locally that you can go and engage and you can celebrate and worship and you can see that although the cross is strange and there's weakness uh, on the cross, that in his humility, Jesus suffered uh, the death that we deserved and uh, he saved us uh, and purchased us for himself. And then is in his resurrection, he rose again in victory, showing us the inherit- the future inheritance that we have, which proves that no matter what 
the current sufferings are. They don't compare to the future glory. So I pray that that offers you hope today. I pray that offers you peace today. And I pray that you would remember that there are Christians all around the world today standing up and believing in that truth. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode was recorded and produced by Chelsea Conway and edited by Brad Weigel. One of the best ways you can help others find our show is to leave us a review. So please take a minute to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Another good way to interact with us is by following us on Instagram and by supporting our patron page at patron.podbean.com backslash culture matters. See you next time.